for e-commerce specifically, it has been the latter. So as opposed to needing, because by and large, there is not a need for a technology solution to be built from the ground up here. It's possible to do, but it's not low-hanging fruit. Instead, operational improvements in terms of establishing a good process to forecast inventory and build a good inventory model that would enable being efficient but never running out of inventory. That operational process is a lot of value. You're listening to the Ecom Exits podcast with your host, Nate Ginsberg. Learn the best tips and tactics to improve profits, cash flow, and maximize your e-commerce business value on the way to a successful exit. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome back, podcast listeners, to the Ecom Exit Show. I'm here joined today by my friend Sam London, CEO of Vimly Group. Really awesome story. Sam is involved in a bunch of different businesses and with an increasing focus and yeah, activity in the FBA space via acquisition. So really excited to have Sam on, share about his story and um, how he got into the space and what is how it's all going for him. So Sam, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nate. Happy to be here. Yeah. So first, could you uh, explain to the audience? So tell us a little bit about Vimbly Group as a whole. Sure. So Vimbly Group, we invest in and grow technology-enabled companies. We have a portfolio of nine different business units. And the common theme is that we contribute tech to operationally enhance, automate, and grow these businesses. So we got started with Vimbly.com in 2011, which is like open table for activities. We grew the business, uh, scaled nationwide, partnered with Google, partnered with Yelp to distribute activities, and over time began licensing our IP, our technology, to other businesses in exchange for rev share or equity stakes in those businesses, usually a minority interest or a joint venture, in some cases a wholly owned subsidiary of Vimbly. And this playbook worked very well for us, in which we would then operationally enhance the businesses and grow them. And so we started focusing even more on businesses in which we had either a controlling interest or we were wholly owned operated businesses by Vimbly and continued doing that through to last year where we started outright acquiring businesses with the purpose of replicating this same playbook, which has worked for us over time to enhance these businesses. That's what led yes. us to getting more involved in the e-commerce space specifically. Yeah, so, and so, so yeah, kind of, if you can talk about going from, you know, Vimbly.com, which was not an e-commerce business. So yeah, like, you know, yeah, kind of talk through the, the evolution of getting from, from that and some of the businesses that kind of led you down into now increased focus on e-com and FBA. Well, there are a few factors that came together. One was this background that we had with operationally improving businesses, taking whether it was a boring business or something exciting or something in the e-commerce space and fully being responsible for running the technology for the business and being long-term partners. So it's not like we were servicers or contracts for any business we would work with. We were taking a long-term interest in the business. So we had a long horizon. This worked well where we found that we were able to figure out ways to grow businesses, whether it's a payment processor we were working with or any commerce business we were working for. The next factor was that over time, we had this desire and need to deploy capital that the firm had generated and to do this efficiently. So basically, how can we allocate the proceeds from these other licensing deals that we had to continue growing Vimbly? And then third was this observation that e-commerce had a lot of opportunity in it. And businesses in the call it low single digit million dollar range had certain things going really well but a lot of room for operational improvement that could enable scaling them and enhance making them even better businesses so all three of those coming together was a factor that was really attractive and made the e-commerce space something that wants to really get more focused in on and more involved with 
Cool. And so, yeah, kind of talk us through now. I know you now have acquired a number of FBA businesses. So like what was or is the, the strategy and you know, wh- where are you at in that game plan currently? So the strategy is to do a few things. So one, the, the context, just so the context of where the business is coming from, it's frequently run by one or two people who are essentially running around doing everything, ranging from customer service, inventory management, conversations with suppliers, all their own reporting. And so it's not specialization. It might be that there's a lot of opportunity to do all things decently well without needing to really be an expert in it. And so our strategy is to delegate. So when we bring on a new business that we've acquired, we layer it into our existing customer service infrastructure. We have that because of starting with Vimbly.com, where we deal with users and users, and we've been dealing with them for years with a lot of experience with customer service and the people we have doing customer service love doing that. They do it really well. So we have our customer service specialist who, for example, uh, runs all customer service. We have our PPC advertising specialist who's focused on doing that. We have our exact specialist focusing on inventory management, specialist on logistics. And so suddenly we're able to distribute the core functions of the business across multiple people who could do it really well. And it also means that they go from, you know, let's say customer service with an incremental business we acquired earlier this year, it goes from taking an hour a day to an hour and seven minutes per day. So it's not so taxing as opposed to one person kind of constantly mindset switching and phase switching to be able to handle all the different roles, which might feel like juggling. Another component of it then, this enables, from my point of view, to divide the business, running the business into three roles. The first being general management, second being ideation, and third being execution. What I mean by those three is general management is just keeping everything moving, right? Responding to customer service inquiries, ordering inventory, forecasting inventory. It's, it's just running the business as opposed to particularly improving the business. Okay, so that's one function. Then there's ideation of new campaigns. That's figuring out what can be done that would improve the business. So for example, that you know, when we worked with Sellerplex, which did an awesome job furnishing a report for us, an audit about how to improve one of the businesses last year and came back with nine specific tangible ideas. Okay, these are nine things that we could do that would improve the business. Great. So just coming up with a list of those, as well as putting them in the order of operations in terms of which would be most effective from an ROI point of view, I deem that the ideation phase. And then part three, execution. That's actually going through and executing on those campaigns. So for example, if we are overpaying for freight, and let's say we're every shipment we're overpaying by $500, and we do 30 shipments a year, that's $15,000 of savings potential. So in order to fix that, right? The, the observation is realizing that that's happening, but actually fixing that requires potentially shopping it, making sure it's a credible and reliable freight forwarder that we would be switching to working with. And there's a little bit of work involved in executing on that. And so that's that third component. By splitting up those three tasks, we're able to really systematically improve the business over time. Okay, cool. And so what then is the kind of like big picture strategy with the FBA acquisition plan and and having these pieces to apply to improve them? What's the big picture plan? The big picture plan is to continue growing the e-commerce side to also shift off of Amazon to have both the Amazon presence and non-Amazon presence since they have different pros and cons uh, with regards to e-commerce and continue growing it through layering on new businesses, adding new brands. So in other words, I'm excited more about continuing to acquire rather than focusing that energy on developing new SKUs within existing businesses. And so we'll do both, but continuing to acquire brands and layer them onto the infrastructure is the strategy. So it's continuing to then increase the size of the e-com side of the business. Cool. And so when did you have your first acquisition and how many have you done so far? So prior to Vimbly, my background is in tech investing. 
at a hedge fund focusing on public market opportunities. And prior to that, I did tech mergers and acquisitions and investment bank. So my exposure to M&A predates when then we started doing it. When we first got into it, we acquired our first Amazon e-commerce business a year ago. We've in total acquired three Amazon e-commerce businesses. And across the business, there's more than three brands, but that's what the number is. Cool. And so the first acquisition, what has gone well so far with the kind of getting into the space, specifically kind of, you know, you're first running these, this FBA business within the last year or so, what's been good about it? I would say that the plan to involve multiple people operationally has worked well. So having reliable ability to delegate these tasks has been exciting. The ability to avoid, I think, certain low-hanging fruit inventory stockouts, for example, has also been fantastic. And then put into motion designers on staff, we have developers on staff. So we're able to utilize them with relatively little work, get a lot of value in terms of cleaning up a brand page or launching a new website for the businesses. And so have you applied your previous strategy of injecting technology to improve efficiency? I guess, has, has that been a part of this strategy or has it been more leveraging your team infrastructure that you already have? For e-commerce specifically, it has been the latter. So as opposed to needing, because by and large, there is not a need for a technology solution to be built from the ground up here. It's possible to do, but it's not low-hanging fruit. Instead, operational improvements in terms of establishing a good process to forecast inventory and build a good inventory model that would enable being efficient but never running out of inventory. That operational process is a lot of value. That doesn't require software. I wouldn't consider building an Excel model to be building a software in that sense, but it's still building on a process which is um, value-add. Cool. And so, yeah, and, and one thing, I mean, I totally, you know, I, I, I like the approach and strategy. And I know that with a lot of these businesses, there is, you know, low hanging fruit to kind of improve them. And, and so what have you kind of found with the acquisitions that you've had? Like, where have been the easiest opportunities for improving the business, but, you know, most specifically impact on the bottom line? I think that ensuring inventory stockouts do not happen is one component that, that takes capital. Ensuring that all SKUs then So inventory stockouts for leading product are bad. And by the way, I think that's actually the most tragic thing that can happen for an e-commerce business. The notion of spending all this time, energy, and money to acquire a customer who comes to you, money in hand, ready to spend it, and to have to turn him away because of not having stock, that is just tragic. That's the word for it. Okay, so that's part one. Part two, enabling all possible SKUs to be active at the same time, as opposed to having to pick and choose because of capital constraints. That's another, um, I think, exciting opportunity that we've been able to do. Number three, I would say expert customer service, expert PPC. I think that adding those, doing a good job with both of those can really go a long way. And then I would say improving copy or ensuring that copy is, I mean, best in class is a big term, but let's say very compelling is another opportunity as well. So that combination, I think, goes a long way with those items. Installing good reporting is another component which has been useful to me. I think that's more of enabling nimble responsiveness to being able to identify what's going on in the business. So that's, then that's the next tier, I would say, out of those items. And so what things have surprised you, you know, kind of taking over this business or getting into e-commerce in a, you know, ownership majority stake versus, you know, versus previously as a, you know, minority investor, like, you know, what's kind of surprised you about, about running these businesses? 
One thing that surprised me is that certain things are slow that either don't need to be slow or there's a lot of leeway to control timing on items. All I mean by that is, for example, supply chain takes a long time to be able to just go from inception of idea to order more inventory to having that see its way all the way through. And some of that time in the middle is wasted time. So that's been interesting. I think another surprising element is there's an element of different opinions that float around. And I think a lot of people view Amazon negatively. Um, that's been surprising to me that this platform on which many sellers are able to succeed and do well is something which many sellers simultaneously hate. I think it's been surprising how the Amazon world is different from other parts of Amazon e-commerce and how they're very quite, very much quite different, even though there seems to be many similarities. So those are some things. So we met at uh, an entrepreneur event uh, last summer. seems like man, a, a lifetime ago, especially these days. But, uh, you know, since then we've done um, a bit of work together and, you know, you hired Sellerplex to do some operational audits and, you know, I'm just kind of curious of like, what prompted you to engage Sellerplex and, you know, what kind of stuff did the reports find? Broadly, it's because I, I want to rely on as much as possible and have respect for experts. I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to do everything by myself. In fact, I'm trying to do as little as possible by myself by instead involving others who have a lot of expertise to be able to render an opinion as to how something can be improved or execute upon improving that. So more tangibly then, so of the three items that we talked about earlier, where there's general management, ideation, execution, the ideation phase of identifying opportunities to operationally enhance the business was the context surrounding that Sellerplex audit, which would provide idea generation. And so that was the context behind doing that to be able to come up with ways of potential campaigns to explore. Mm -hmm. And the report came back with ideas. And that's great. That was my goal to come back with ideas in order to be able to figure out how to fix the, how to improve the business. Well, glad to hear that. So yeah, what now are, what are some of the plans for the rest of the year or the rest of the acquisitions? Are you, I mean, you mentioned, you know, buying them and continuing to grow them. Is the plan to, you know, continue to, you know, lever on just kind of more of these, you know, businesses in less related spaces or is the plan a long-term plan, a roll up or yeah, like kind of, I guess in the next, yeah, I don't know what, what, what are uh, more like, you know, longer term moving forward the. Yeah. So my plan is, is not to sell it. I know a lot of people buy the business with the intention of flipping it. That might be their strategy. It's not mine. Uh, my plan is to hold them forever. Right. My plan is to really flower these businesses, to make them be extremely, to me, beautiful is the word, to be brands that I'm really proud of that, that do well and are in wholesome categories. That's another comment. I guess we haven't talked about that in terms of criteria of items that I like to be involved with versus not involved with. And one of those criteria is wholesome related products. So one is longevity, but another is wholesome products that would be something I'm, I'm proud of telling my mom about or I'm proud of telling my kids about. That would be the, the, the type of product that I'm particularly focused on. And so that as a result, one nice thing with that is I would be happy to 10 years in the future, be sitting on those same brands and have them be much larger brands. Mm -hmm. So the long-term strategy is to buy, hold forever. Okay, cool. And I guess, so uh, if I remember correctly, at, at a certain point, you were considering doing a roll-up. Um, I, I might be remembering wrong. And if I am, you know, uh, correct me, but. If not, like why, what, you know, what changed from um, a roll-up strategy to, uh, you know, buy-hold cash flow? Well, I don't view them as mutually exclusive from one another. I want to roll up many of them. And I think that the synergy between these businesses, the sum is greater than the parts through this overlapping infrastructure. 
And so I want to combine both of those and through rolling up many of them, there will be a larger company at large for this common infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And all I mean is that my intention is not to then turn around and try to sell that to someone else. It's instead to be able to benefit from that within the Vimbley group from what we have built. Okay, cool. And so another thing that you, that you mentioned that I know is also one of the, uh, I think, you know, classic biggest challenges for FBA business is, you know, expanding sales off of Amazon. And so with the businesses that you've purchased, you know, how hard have you kind of pushed forward uh, the off Amazon initiative and um, you know, how's, how's that going? If you, if you've been, you know, pushing it. Um, I think this remains an opportunity. So I haven't pushed hard on it so far. Um, it's in, it's in line and it's uh, continuing to be something that we're going to be focusing on more that I want to do more, but it's not the first priority. Yeah. Well, sounds like there's plenty of other, I think the off Amazon stuff is, is certainly an opportunity. Uh, also, I don't know if I'd call it a low hanging fruit opportunity probably right. requires a lot more. Um, I mean, right. So it takes a lot of managerial oversight to do. And so that's on my mind to be able to, do that without compromising, as you point out, the lower hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so um, a lot of our, our audience, you know, is, is interested in, you know, having a successful exit. And, you know, as someone kind of on the other side that is, you know, that is buying these businesses and, you know, you've now done this a couple of times, you know, what are some things that, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the criteria of, you know, wholesome and longevity, but you know what kind of like more tactically in a business like are there certain you know metrics that you're you're looking for that the audience can kind of keep in mind if they you know want to sell to someone potentially similar in terms of yeah either yeah i don't know like is there other kind of like a checklist of things like when you to to qualify a business for acquisition that you're you know that you're looking for yeah i think that there are a few things that help optimize one is really clean numbers that are verifiable and easy to diligence, right? So for example, having a distinct entity for it, distinct tax returns. So it's very clear what those economics are. I think that having good processes in place that are easy to assume. So having SOP, standard operating procedures in place that enable someone else to take over. Transparency, I think helps. I think that, so from a seller's point of view, um, I would say positioning the business to have real growth opportunities ahead of it without being floofy or made up. Here's what I mean by this. So one is that the ideal time potentially for a seller to sell isn't when all growth has been tapped out. It's for instead for the seller to feel that the buyer, for for the seller to be able to convince the buyer and point out that there is growth ahead still in the business and the buyer is going to be able to capture that. And so that makes it more exciting for the buyer. And then so to the extent those could be as tangibly identified as possible, that makes them more real and then the risk is relatively less. And so the value is relatively more if that growth could be priced in. So from my point of view as a buyer, I, I'm not looking to pay bottom dollar. Uh, my goal is not to try to squeeze out the best possible deal. I would rather pay a higher price for a higher quality business. Now, not everyone's gonna necessarily agree with me. I think that some people really try to get the best possible deal. I think there's a level of you get what you play for that exists. And so, I think that having an eye out for which type of buyer one is talking to can help solve that because some buyers are just not willing necessarily to pay more, but I'm happy to do to live in a world in which everyone gets paid and the seller makes out with a great price because from my point of view, I'm picking up something of high value that I'll be able to continue contributing value to. And I think that something that's a too low of a multiple or too good of a deal can have problems associated with it. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, I mean I, li- I like what you said about being willing to for this to be a win for you. It's not about you know fighting tooth and nail for the lowest price. It's about finding something good and quality, paying a fair price for it. That you know, I mean, not overpaying, but yeah, paying a price that's fair that still is able to you know make work and be a big win for for both parties. Probably a better way of uh, easier to to approach than you know having to fight on the to try to get the lowest price like that's not fighting for the lowest price isn't going to be the best indicator of success here yeah i think that um also so checking references is very useful any way that can be done so to the extent that a seller selling to a buyer if that as they enter the loi process if it's possible to speak to someone who had worked with that buyer before that's really useful to get some insight from someone else as to what that process was like. Now, sometimes that might not be possible if someone's buying a business for the first time, but there are other people that one could check or talk to to get a sense for what that person is like. I think that's very useful. On my mind is that any, any seller I work with, anyone I work with, I want that person, I'd be comfortable with that person being able to talk to anyone about what it was like uh, doing business with me. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a valuable way to operate. Yeah. And so, so where have you, so now kind of, uh, you know, on the other side a little bit, cause I know there are also uh, some of our listeners, you know, myself included are interested in um, you know, also in, in, in the, on the acquisition side. And so, you know, how have you approached, uh, you know, finding these deals and, you know, what's kind of worked for, for finding these ones that uh, you know, that you've, that you've moved forward with? Well, I think that the combination of being in touch with brokers as well as being on the ground, attending relevant conferences to meet sellers who are not going through a broker to be there for when a friend of a friend is exploring selling his business to have that conversation. I think that combination, that has worked well for me. I think brokers add a lot of value though to the process. Admittedly, they cost money to the seller, right? So I think both of those routes though work really well from a buyer point of view. Cool. And, and so, so yeah, is there anything that now you've done this a couple of times, glad to hear that it's generally going well, are you changing anything in your approach now than when you started? I have more standard types of analyses that I like to pay attention to that, for example, the PPC analysis that we've, we do, we've done multiple times. We do consistently we have a reporting process. It's a useful way to look at a business for one type of piece of information. So I'm incorporating more of these standard procedures in my mind or in, in, in my process. Uh, so that's one component. I think that paying closer attention to inventory accounting is also something that is on my mind recently for it. I'm trying to think what else is changing. I mean, broadly, one kind of thought I have is for anyone who's doing it, the first deal isn't going to work. And all I mean by that is that you might spend a lot of time for looking at a particular company and get really excited about it. And then they, they just might not take your offer. They might go with someone else. And I feel like that is part of the process. Kind of like, you know, I used to play video games growing up and we would always say that your first character is going to be gimped. Or, you know, it's, you, you play Diablo 2, you make a character and you mess up on the first go around, but that's necessary. Because if you just don't do it, if you spend forever trying to do the first character perfectly, you kind of never get there. You have to mess up the first character to make the second one perfect or the third one really good. So I think just getting out there and having, going through the motions is very valuable. Yeah, well, uh, agreed. And I guess the, the best, you know, the best learning experience is, is going to be hands-on and, um, you know, glad to hear that that 
uh, is, you know, a continually improving, evolving process for you. And so, uh, Sam, I know we've got a, a stop coming up in a few minutes. So want to uh, just wrap up with, with one final question we'd like to ask our guests. And so what, so what is your number one, if you had to pick one piece of advice for someone who is, you know, growing, building a business, you know, an e-com FBA business that they want to have a successful exit for uh, in the future, you know, what would be one, yeah, the number one piece of advice that you would share with them? For a seller? For a seller, yeah. I would say the willingness to spend money on experts is counterintuitive and hard and one of the most value add components. So what I mean by that is, there's this decision that exists between doing it yourself, which feels like it costs zero versus paying someone to do it, which depresses earnings, but it has the opportunity for that person to do it better and unlocks your time. And it's the long-term good trade. It's the short-term bad trade, long-term good trade. If you're selling the business next month, okay, maybe paying someone this month to do something that you could do yourself is a bad idea. But if you're more long-term oriented, if you're not selling it imminently, then that growth is going to be very valuable. So utilizing and engaging experts, even if they're expensive, can be good. Now, obviously this requires discretion and judgment. I'm not saying go waste money and hire everyone, but I think that effective use of experts is very useful. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you articulated it well. It's a you know, short-term bad trade, but long-term good trade. And you know, I think in, in these things, it's better to you know, taking that long-term view is going to be, you know, what's going to be best for you in the long run. And, and yeah, I think that's uh, some, some great advice to wrap the, wrap the interview with. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Sam, thanks so much for, for coming on. If you can, yeah, last thing before we go, just share how the audience can get in touch, find more about Vimbly and um, you know, if they're, I guess, I don't know if you're uh, buying, but if you're interested in buying uh, or selling, you know, where, where someone can get in touch. Great. Yeah. VimblyGroup.com. V-I-M-B-L-Y group.com is our website. More information about Vimbly there. For someone wanting to get in touch, best way is by email, sam at Vimbly.com. If you email me there, that is the way to get in touch with me. All right. Well, Sam, thanks for coming on. Hope we can meet up sometime in the not so distant future again in person. (laughs) Sounds good, Nate. Thanks for having me. Great talking to you. Talk to you soon. This has been the Ecom Exits podcast with Nate Ginsberg. If you're enjoying the Ecom Exits podcast, show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help other smart entrepreneurs find us. We appreciate your support. We have a new episode every week on the Ecom Exits podcast. So catch you next time.